0: Good morning church. How are we doing? Good deal. Alright. I was rear-ended about six, seven months ago. I probably, I tell you all everything so I'm sure you remember it. I was at the corner of 278 in the bypass. He hit me from behind. His fault, not mine. Have you ever been in a wreck and then you step out and there's that awkward moment and you're like, please be a good person. Please be a good person. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they are, though. This guy was a good guy. I got a new phone this week. I hate it because it's the, the buttons weird. Um, but I had this guy. I, have you ever looked it through your contacts? And you forgot who is that person? It was this guy. I had forgotten him. Well, anyway, this guy got out of his car and he was told we 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 kind of pulled over into Tubby Tom's, great American establishment there. And he was really apologetic, really kind, gave me all of his contact information. It, it was a good exchange. I forgot something, though. What did I forget? Well, no, I forgot to call the police. He was such a good guy, I didn't think I needed the police. He, he kind of coaxed me a little bit. He was really kind, really nice, really apologetic. His name was Steve. Steve, you have a good one. All right, man, good deal. I don't know if he did that on purpose because he got me. I was driving back. I was like, ah, man, I should have gotten the, 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 the police there. Um, certainly the insurance company will understand how nice a guy he was, though. <laughs> so I get home. My wife, like usual, is the one to tell me he should have gotten the... And I, I was like, oh, man. Well, she was like, well, you need to call him. And I'm like, there's no way he's going to... What, what, like, go where? What? Just meet him somewhere. I'm like, oh, all right. There's no way. He's, have you ever called somebody and like, hey, can you meet me back? Strange person that I met. He did. The guy actually did it. Nice Steve. He goes, yeah, I'll meet you wherever. I said, can you meet me back at the place that I'm going to have, have it fixed? He's like, sure, I'll come there. Wow. And then I felt bad because I was like, along at, at every step, I just anticipated this guy to be a bad guy. We do that. We don't trust people today, do we? If you're in a wreck, you're weighing if this person's going to be a good person. Why is that? It's because we know a lot of bad people, and that jades our our view of mankind. We live in a post-Genesis 3 world. What happens? Genesis 3, Adam and Eve fall. Already, by Genesis 4, brothers are killing one another. By Genesis 6, by Genesis 5, the world is so bad, God says it's completely evil. I'm going to blot it out from the face of the earth. We don't trust people today. And it's no coincidence that by Genesis chapter 9, God is making a covenant and saying you can trust me. You can't trust anyone else, but you can trust me. And God in the Old Testament is preparing us with covenants so that by the time the God-man comes, by the time that Jesus Christ comes on the scene, he says, you know, I am the God of Abraham. I am the I am. You can trust me in whatever I say. You can take it to the bank. It's good as gold. Our faith in the entire gospel is predicated on the, on the, on the idea that God is a covenant-keeping God. So if you'll turn your Bibles to John, Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. We're going through the first book of the entire Bible. We're in the 8th chapter. To catch you up to speed before we go, um, the flood waters have subsided. Noah sent out a raven, then a dove. The dove comes back with an olive branch. Then the dove doesn't come back at all. The ark comes to rest on the mountains of Ararat, which are, uh, in present day, eastern Turkey. Noah takes the top off the ark, it says, and sees dry ground. And then God says, be fruitful and multiply. Now, before we read our passage, I want us to keep something in mind. We're going to read Genesis Genesis chapters 8 and 9, but while you're reading, keep in mind how strong a parallel there is between Genesis 8 and 9 and Genesis 1 and 2. You're going to hear very familiar language. God is establishing something that He's really already established. He's doing in Genesis chapter 8 and 9 what He's doing in Genesis 1 and 2, but in a different way. So if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're new here, this is something we do. Not because we believe that this book is magical. or It's just we stand out of reverence for He who authored this book, the living God. And the Holy Spirit says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood." And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image." And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I made between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud Father God, you have revealed these precious truths to us, and that bow that hangs in the clouds every time it rains, and we look up and we see such beauty, such multicolored beauty in the sky, Father, you have told us why it's there. It's because you keep your promises. and Father, we can rest assured that you are the God of Genesis 8 and 9. And Jesus is the God of Genesis 8 and 9. Father, the gospel is predicated on the beauty and the reality of the fact that you will do what you say. And how rare that is in this world, Father. We thank you for the consistency of Jesus. We thank you for the honesty of Jesus. We thank you for the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus and for his love. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen. You can have a seat. I don't know why I always say that, but I do. Here's what I'm trying to say this morning. If you don't get anything else, here's what it is. Despite man's wickedness and unfaithfulness, God remains a covenant-keeping God. That's it. Despite man's wickedness and unfaithfulness, God remains a covenant-keeping. God. God has never given up on his promises to man. Man has disobeyed. Man has rebelled. Man has turned away. But God is faithful. It's it's really important to understand this. God doesn't just plop Noah on a mountain and go, you're good. Here you go. No. He doesn't just say, hey, Noah, you don't get killed. Everybody else does. Are we good here? Okay, good. You can hang out in Turkey for a while. No. God establishes a covenant with Noah. This is the first time in the Bible we see that word. It's a very special, intimate word. But before we dig into that, look at all the parallels in our passage with Genesis 1 and 2. Number one, God blessed Noah and his sons like Adam and Eve. Number two, God commands Noah and his sons to be fruitful and to multiply. Number three, God sets Noah's family atop the creation. The only difference is now what? Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Do you understand that? So in the garden, Adam and Eve weren't eating meat. They were just what? Picking and eating off trees. Now it says the animals are going to live in fear of you. Just don't eat it with its blood. Number four, God affirms the value of humans in being created in the divine image, just like he did in the garden. The only difference is what? In verse six, he says, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. So there's a prohibition against murder now. Different world than Genesis 1 and 2. Number five. After God judges sin, He makes a promise to Noah just like He did to Adam and Eve. So we see a lot of parallels there with the Garden of Eden. Even when we're faithless, God remains faithful because God is God. Here's something to remember about the Old Testament. If the Old Testament teaches us one thing about God's love, it's that God's faithfulness to His promises is never predicated upon the perceived goodness of His people. It's just predicated on the goodness of God. When Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3, what did God do? He cursed them, but He doesn't leave them without a gospel. What does He say? To the serpent, He says, Her offspring will crush your head. There is redemption coming. Now in Genesis 9, God wipes out the whole earth, but He doesn't leave them without good news. Let's read verses 8-11. through We can take it to the bank. So God doesn't just make a covenant with Noah. He makes it with Noah's sons, their families, and every living creature. Now, here's a question. What is a covenant? Which I think is a very relevant question today because we've forgotten what really that means. A covenant is an oath-bound relationship between two parties. In divine covenants, God sovereignly... I didn't even know if that was a word or not. So I just made it up. There it is. It sovereignly establishes the relationship with his creatures. After the fall, God binds himself to keep the oaths that he takes. Covenants are the backbone of the entire biblical story. If you want to know, I get this question a lot. Where do I start with the Bible? How do I understand the Bible? You can understand it through the covenants. The covenants are like the spine of the Bible. Here's a way to look at it. The covenants, the Noahic covenant. Which is what we're reading right now the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant through Jesus and the gospel. If you actually, I mean, the Bible is a very diverse document with many different ways of reading it. Is my Hang on? Okay. I was loud, wasn't I? That was, that was Josh's polite way of saying, let's turn it down, Abby. There you go. That's a framework for reading the entire Bible. It's called covenant theology. Of which most of us would ascribe. God unilaterally decides to enter into the covenants through individuals, but with an entire people. For example, in the New Testament, God makes the new covenant with the church through whom? Jesus Christ. In Genesis 9, God says, I poured out my wrath, I have judged the earth, but... I'm not giving up on my plan to give you a savior. I'm not giving up on my plan to have a remnant. I'm not giving up on my plan to crush the serpent's head. I'm going to be faithful to my promise. And in verse 6, God also reminds them that his image has been stamped on them. This is a really important verse. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Now... We're going to try to take the politics out of it for a second. Regardless of where you stand on capital punishment, this verse has often been used. In fact, it's the number one verse used, at least in Western civilization, for capital punishment. I've heard arguments about capital punishment against it. And what they'll say is, they'll say, well, we shouldn't take someone's life because people have value and dignity and worth. Well, that's the exact same logic for capital punishment that God gives here in verse 6. What God is saying is, people have worth and value and dignity because I have infinite worth, value, and dignity. God says, if you kill a human being in my image, you have disrespected and dishonored me. Therefore, whoever sheds his blood, his blood shall be shed. Why? Because man was made in my image. God didn't just create human beings. He created them in His own image. He created them to be in covenant relationship with Him. Therefore, the way we treat human beings is a reflection of the way we treat their Creator. When God judges the earth with the flood, He doesn't leave them without a promise. And this is the entire book of the Bible. In the garden, He curses Adam and Eve, and then what does He say? There's going to be somebody here, it's going to come from you, that's going to crush this serpent. What does he do with Noah? He wipes out the earth, then he gives them a promise. What does he do with the Jewish people? He says, I've borne you up on eagles' wings. I have crushed Pharaoh. Now I'm going to give you the what? The law. When God gives us a a command to repent and believe, he does the exact same thing. Here's the way we can look at the gospel today. The gospel follows an Old Testament pattern. There's a judgment of sin on the cross, There's acknowledgement of sin, repentance. There's a promise of eternal salvation in Christ. And there's a covenant made through Jesus' blood. God is doing the exact same thing in the New Testament that he did in the Old. Just different. One of the neatest things about this passage is how God remembered. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says God remembered Noah. But when God sets his bow over the clouds, did you notice that it's not that we will remember? Let's read verses 14 through 16. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the... I'll just finish that. Do we have it? Nope. Did I even make that slide? Maybe I didn't. And remember the... Everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. I will remember as if God was going to forget. Um, I just think that's an incredibly humble thing for God to say. It's not as if God is going to forget. It's God wants Noah and all of creation, including us today, to know that he will never forget his covenant. It's how important it is. It's everlasting. He will never renege on his commitment to the covenant. The next time it rains, God wants us to do more than go, Oh, God made a pretty thing. Moving on. That's not why God put the, the rainbow up in the sky. He wants you to look up and to look at the rainbow and to go, Wow, God is a covenant-keeping God. The rainbow is a sign of God's never-ending, never-stopping, never-ending covenant with the world. Between Genesis 9 and today, we have given God plenty of reasons to wipe out the earth. We've had dozens of wars. We've had well, hundreds of wars. Unbelief, hatred of God. We've, been worsh- we've worshipped other gods. We've worshipped other idols. We've disobeyed his command. And between then and now, God looks up at the sky and says, These people have not kept their word, but I will keep mine. There's no way I can look up at the sky and not think of my inadequacy and my um, unworthiness to call him God. In a lot of ways, God wants rainbows to bring us to repentance and faith. I don't know if you got the next one. Rainbows should bring us to renew our faith in Jesus through whom God makes his most ultimate covenant of salvation. One of my favorite verses of the entire Bible is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God's faithfulness to his people depends on God, not his people. I'm wearing a covenant sign right now on my body. Where is it? Where is it at? My finger. And when I look at it, what do I do? I remember. What do I remember? My covenant with my bride. It's the same principle. And because I know a covenant-keeping God, a faithful God, a loving God, I keep my covenant with my bride. Why? Because God kept His covenant with His this is said to me when I got married, and I wanted to just kind of say it because it, it really, every man should hear this. If our God keeps his covenants, barring sexual immorality or abandonment, because I feel like scripture makes those, those exception clauses, men are allowed to divorce their wives when God stops putting his bow in the clouds. Men are allowed to stop serving their brides when Christ stops serving his. Men, you are not allowed to divorce your bride. I'm sorry. There are exception clauses made, and this goes to women as well. Of course, I would add abuse there as well. It would be a way that that marriage is annulled. The problem is that we have misunderstood what covenants mean. We think today making a commitment is I'm going to make my commitment to you as long as I think that you're not, you know, not giving 100%. That's not what God says. When God makes a covenant, He says, I'm going to do this regardless of what you do. When, when a covenant is made between two people, especially in marriage, what you're saying is, no, I'm not, till death do I part. The church is full of covenant people. We make covenants with our spouses. We make covenants with each other. We make covenants with our God. That means when we go to church... We're saying, I love you guys, I'm going to serve you guys, I'm going to hang out with you guys, I'm going to invest in you guys, I'm going to pray with you guys. We're going to be in covenant with one another, and it's not going to be dependent on how sinful you are, it's going to be dependent on the blood that was shed for me unconditionally. Covenant is not a word we use today, but it's a, it's a word we should use very often in the church. Jesus Christ, here's a way of thinking. I thought about what would be, a, what would be the rainbow in heaven? Do we have rainbows in heaven? I think about these weird things. Jesus Christ, the resurrected God-man, seated at the right hand of the Father, will be our glorious rainbow in the sky, in the new heavens and the new earth, reminding us that God will never walk away from His covenant people. Jesus Christ lives today, seated at the right hand of the Father, reminding us that He will never back out of the commitment He has made through Jesus Christ. When we take the bread and the juice, what do we do? We remember. The bread and the juice, I wish I were preaching this last week. But when you take that juice and your bread, what do you do? Those are covenant signs. We remember what God has done. We remember his death. We remember his sufferings. We remember his sacrifice. We remember his faithfulness. Despite man's wickedness and faithfulness, here's the gospel right here. I'm going to go to the next one real quick. Despite man's wickedness and unfaithfulness, Christ remains a covenant-keeping Savior to those who believe in Him. At judgment, and there will be a judgment day, so when you die or when Jesus comes back, you will understand the full scope of your sin. No one understands it now. Nothing will be hidden, everything will be laid bare, every thought, every word, every intention, every misdeed you have. On that day, I will be given every reason that I should go to hell. On judgment day, I will be given every reason God should not save me, and on the final day, the day of days, God's covenant to His people will be tested. But here's the good news. It's not the strength of my faith that's going to get me to heaven. It's not the sum of my good works. It's God's promise. I won't get to heaven. I think a lot of people think think like this when they get to heaven. Hey God, I filled my duty. I I believed in you. Now give me what I need. That's not how faith works. A lot of people like to treat faith like it's a condition. It's not. It's not. God actually supplies our faith and our Savior. So God actually in the gospel fulfills every obligation we'll need. Friends, we're not saved because of our goodness. We're saved because God keeps His promises. I, um, I remember my dad when I did something really wrong when I was... 18 or 19 and I remember thinking that my dad was going to disown me. Not disown, It's a little... I just thought he wasn't going to want to hang out with me anymore. Um, and I remember that... I, in my life, I've never seen dad that disappointed. And I wasn't living with my dad. When you're living, it's different. Um, and I remember dad... Telling me that he loved me. And I cried. And I don't think I had ever. I mean when dad. When dad say they love you. It's like. Oh, I, good to see you too dad. I'll see you later. But on that day. It was like. My dad loves me. And that is when. Your love for someone is proven. When they don't deserve it. And. That's what it's going to be like at Judgment Day. You know, we hear it, we grew up in Sunday school going, God loves you, yeah, 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 okay, I understand that. Or, Or you don't know an answer in church, you're like, oh, God loves me? We say God loves us all the time, but on that day when God says He loves you, you will break down in tears and you'll say, I am not worthy of the Lamb. I'm not worthy of the the covenant. I haven't kept my promises. I am not good for my word. My word means nothing. I've walked away from you. My misdeeds, my thoughts, everything. You don't know how bad I am. And God will say, yes, I know. You don't know how good I am. You don't know how loving I am. And to hear on that day that God loves you, it won't be no Sunday school answer. It'll be something you stake your soul on. Why? Not because of you, but because you believed in a covenant-keeping God. This morning, I call anyone here, if you have tried to whittle in a little bit of your own righteousness into your faith, strip it away and cling like a climber on a cliff. And that rock is the covenant of God in Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are good. Your word means everything. Your righteousness alone. You've we've given you every reason to walk away. And you only have one why you don't, and his name is Jesus. Father, he obeyed when we didn't. Father, he was not given to temptation when we Have been. He did not go back on his word. He believed the Father. He was stainless of sin. And Father all those things. Are given to us on our account. By faith. Father thank you for keeping your word. Thank you for starting with Noah. And ending in Jesus. Thank you for being a covenant keeping God. That we can trust. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen.